Okay, before we start, does anyone want to share anything? You know what's funny? My, my dad said when I was seven, he's going to go grab some milk, and I've never seen him since. It's been like five days, five years. You know, I think I think it's best that, you know, you, you didn't have your dad there because I just watched Invincible recently, and that tells a story about a dad who stayed. And uh, he beat the living crap out of his son, Mark Grayson. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> everyone welcome back to the power outage podcast where we geek out in a blackout i thought that was pretty good (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah okay yeah whatever that was a shower thought but i thought of it uh i like that who we are okay cool at least someone likes it (laughs) unlike omni man (laughs) uh so yes we are a podcast where we talk tv shows and this TV show we're going to talk about this episode is the last six episodes of Mystic Pop-Up Bar. Uh, spoiler warning, every show that we talk about is not going to be spoiler free. So if you haven't watched the show, you know, uh, you can skip this episode, watch Mystic Pop-Up Bar, come back, and we'll accept you with open arms. Also, apologies if you hear some ticky-tacking, some ruffling, some thumping. Uh, when we came back to the spirit world to record this episode, we found our equipment in disarray. There's some sabotaging in there. It wouldn't work properly. So we enlisted the help of the electrical sprites. Uh, they get to help out fix our equipment while we're here. They said we can still record. They're just going to be tinkering within inside the machines that we have. There will be some noises in the background, so bear with us. We'll try to edit them out as much as possible. But yeah, just fair warning for all of y'all listening. And we gotta show support to the electrical sprites here in the spirit realm. Shoutouts to them. Alright folks, the people joining we meet with me tonight is the spirit of indecisiveness, Ryan. If changing your fate is called a miracle, then miracles may be happening every day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, and also with me is the god of Glizzies. They say gobble de gobble de gob gobble gobble. Alright. As for your host today and only today and never forever in the future, <laughs> my name is Kent and I am the spirit of unfortunate dilemmas. Oh yes. Yes. Trademark. I got a lateral promotion in the spirit world. I got get the same amount of money doing the same amount of work, but have a different title. Shout out to the nurses out there. <laughs> we understand your struggle. Not as nurses personally. <laughs> we, we, we are not fly. <laughs> Ryan's thoughts are his and his alone. Uh, they do not reflect the views and opinions of the rest of Power Outers. <laughs> okay. So, like I mentioned before, we watched Mystic Papa Bar with the last six episodes. We left off in a cliffhanger where Woju and the crew solved a conception case. And then they had to do some spirit world workaround and eventually got their case solved, but led to their arrest. That where we left off, 
And now we're going to talk about the last six episodes. So I'll throw it out to you folks. Highlights, lowlights of these episodes. What are y'all feeling? So just to keep it all general for now, when I was getting ready to watch these last six episodes, I was hoping with it ending on such a cliffhanger, you know, them having to, I don't know, probably stop the bar, a little obstacle in reaching the quota. I was I was hoping we get to see how they get out of the situation. There, there were only six episodes left. So I was worried that we might have to meander a little bit and kind of stop with the quota and deal with this otherworldly stuff. But I think these last six episodes are really the heart of the show. This is where we really get into our characters and get to know more about them and see a lot of emotional moments. The first six are focused a little bit on the victims as well as our main characters, but these last six are really focused on our main characters and getting to know who they are and what they're about. Even just trying to get through these last six episodes, I was by each episode I was getting more and more sad because it was going to come to an end. And yeah, over this whole series, I've grown to love all these characters and just root for the best outcome for them. And we'll get into what happened to them at the end but yeah overall a great show i was not expecting to like it as much as i did and even watching the first six i wasn't expecting to like it even more than that but these last six great stuff for me i felt like i was delaying the end as soon as i hit maybe the last quarter of the season where it's nine ten, i started noticing that i'm kind of delaying finishing it just because i'm like i really actually enjoy this overall i do agree with yeah with what ryan said where it's focusing less on the victims and the supporting cast that helped characterize our main cast now it's just okay we're tying the loose ends concluding what we introduced in the beginning i can see myself re-watching this series not being like other shows where i just be like one and done forever I i could see myself kind of revisiting this later in life just to see where my mind's at because I could feel like I could relate more just with what life experience I have. But also I could I would like to see after a second viewing how well they told the story with characterizing the way they did. But overall, yeah, I, I like the story. I really like the show. Didn't think I would. I'll probably watch maybe one more Korean K-drama that's action mystical related. Shout out to Mystic Pop Up Bar. <laughs> yeah, I was as each episode goes by, you get closer and closer to the thought that it's gonna end. I really, I really like the show, and yeah, I have nothing else to say about it. Uh, there's some things I don't like, but then that will be covered later on during my prompted questions, but yeah. Uh, so let's move on. My next question is related to what y'all both brought up, is how as each episode goes by in these last six episodes, there was less screen time, less focus on like the cases of like the grudges that they need to alleviate. And give more focus to the actual main three crew, uh, Woju, Chief Gui, and Kang Bei. Uh, how do you all feel about it? I think it was a lot easier to remember the first six episodes individually because they were so unique with the case that they were dealing with. But even preparing to record this episode, I had to kind of refresh myself on what actually happened in each episode because it they all blend together so well because of the main overarching story with Kong Bei, Chief Gui, and Wolju. All their stories start to connect to each other more and more. So I think episodes 7, 8, and 9 are purely like isolated cases that obviously do have some tie-ins to the main cast, but 
7, 8, and 9 are very similar to the first 6. But once we get to 10 and onwards, yeah, that's when it really gets personal to the main characters, especially with the goal towards the quota. And I know we talked about it in our last episode, how we were theorycrafting, like, what kind of cases they'll deal with near the end. And <laughs> after listening to what we said, we're pretty much on the on the ball with those theories. We'll get into that later. But yeah, I think, like I said before, as we started getting towards the end and getting to know more about these characters, I started to like them more. I already loved Chief Gui before, but once we get to know his character a lot more, that's when I really started to like him and really started to see who he truly was. And of course, Wolju, she's, you know, we she had the most growth and development to go through over this series. And I, I think she really nailed it. I think they really gave her a lot of material to work with. And just seeing what she went through, you know, I think she earned what she got in the end. And then Kongbei, nice guy. You know, he, he got a lot of stuff to deal with as well. And I think that all worked out for him as well. Yeah, speaking to that theory crafting, I guess we were on the ball. But you know what? That, that show threw us some more curveballs. <laughs> we didn't think big enough in our theory crafting. No, we did not. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but Levy, how about you? Very similar to what Ryan said, where the first half and the second half are pretty distinct in shows. The first six, you get the main objective. You see the overall plot where it's trying to go by the end of the series. But by the second half, where we continue, you start to see um, the small subplots kind of develop. You see the romance between uh, Kangbei and Yaorin, the Cinnabar. And then you also start seeing bigger ties with Woju's past, with her mom, with the other dude, I forgot his name, the one who, the evil spirit, what's his name? Oh, Wan Young. Wan Young, yeah. So you, you start seeing where it's it really goes into full gear instead of being something in the background, which they introduce in the first half, but in the second half, they really like go full force. And I feel like that really drives it forward and makes you want to go straight to the next episode. I, I All of the episodes are engaging. However, when it comes to that second half, when you get to the, the beef, the big juicy parts where you're like, oh, I've been needing this. Because even their cliffhangers are more juicy. They go to, oh, all of a sudden, spoiler, there's the reveal of the prince being Chief Gui or Kangbei in the sixth episode. And then onward from there, they start doing more... I think it ended on the murder... Or it was leading towards the murder of um, the reincarnated mother, the queen. So yeah, just the, just the stakes. There was like, oh, okay, we're getting really big instead of just like a small, a small cliffhanger kind of. Yeah, I might I might disagree a little bit on like the the royal plot line. But before I get into that, I do like how we're focusing more on the three crew, the three person crew of the Mystic Papa Bar, because I think that was what's needed on this show. But I also miss having those cases of those, you know, those people with grudges that need solving. I think before the show, I, this premise reminds me of an anime that I watched. It's called Bartender. Oh, interesting. And each, each, yes, each episode, somebody comes in, talks about their problems, and then the bartender, nameless, I believe, serves them a drink, like the perfect drink, where they're able to open up in their feelings and they can talk to each other. So Mystic Pop Bar, Papa Bar's premise reminded me of that. And I really liked the first six episodes because of it. While I do appreciate that they still kept it, I don't. I felt like they should have done a little more stronger on the cases. Uh, I understand why, because they have to put more focus on the three characters and the whole royal plotline. 
but I don't necessarily like everything about this royal plotline <laughs> because of uh because of one character and what he does. His name is Kim Won Hyung, and he's he's trash. <laughs> 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 I, I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, Yo, Yoach, he's like until like episode twelve. He's like Maleficent mm. from Kingdom Hearts. Mm. He thinks he's the main villain. He's actually the main villain, but really, his every time he smirks, it's like get get out of here. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, I'll go for like my second question, which is about the royal plotline with all the twists and all that. Uh, so let's talk about it. Uh, how do y'all feel about it? I don't know. If, I mean, I guess like as a reminder, what these twists are. It's like Chief Gui is the prince, Kang Bei is the, the son. Sa- yes. This the the sacred tree, but the sacred tree is also like the son of Chief yes. Gui and Woju. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was revealed in the scroll. Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> and Yorin is the cinnabar, which is like this inanimate object that can like reflect spirits. Uh unfortunately Professor Blaine was not there to protect it, so that's for my Pokemon fans. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, how do y'all feel about this royal plotline? Okay, so we we talked that we we just we were theorycrafting last episode about why uh, Kim Won Young was so angry towards this romance between Yao Rin and oh uh, not sorry not Yao Rin between Woju when she was young and technically Yao Rin Prince. technically Yao technically Yao Rin she was involved. <laughs> but not yeah but not he he was angry at her for other reasons but anyways you know kent put out the theory that you know what maybe kim won young is uh in love with the prince nope <laughs> not even not even gonna touch on that um and then we were saying like the boring answer would be that he kim won young didn't want the prince to marry a lowly woman and well, yeah that's kind of it but it's more he just wants power wants to uprise the prince because because i guess i i like see there's his father ryan (laughs) see yeah there's that there's that moment where we get between chief yom like death and kim one young and he's like oh dad you you know you always stood by the prince you never stood by me okay i could i could i could see that i could see that we didn't get much development with that but when it was first introduced i was like okay sure you know what i can see that but because they didn't dwell, uh, dwell on that too much, it felt very confusing as to what his true motivations were. Because it was either, I'm angry at my dad, I'm angry at the prince, I'm angry at Wolju. And yeah, it just felt all over the place with his motivations, which made it hard to sympathize with him. I guess we needed a villain. I guess that's why we had to do that plot. But I just feel like the whole villain storyline of his was kind of flat. But yeah, that's my thoughts on Kim Won Young. Okay. What about overall, like the the other parts of the this royal storyline? I will say the the reveal that Kong Bei was had the spirit of the tree, the the sacred tree was an interesting one because it made sense. People went to the sacred tree to confess their problems, and you know the spirit of the sacred tree would solve them. So it makes sense with Kong Bei's powers, where whenever people had contact with him, that they would reveal their issues to him. So. You know that's a cool one. I was a little surprised that she was pregnant, that Wolji was pregnant at the time that she um took her took her life because I don't know maybe it's just because the actress looked very young and I was like oh they did the nasty and she was pregnant so I mean I wasn't expecting that but 
I guess that's something. I don't. I. I guess they really wanted to make this like a feel like a family unit because that's what they were kind of forming this trio to be was like this big unit of a family. I don't think we needed to force it by Kung Bei being the son because I felt like it would have hit harder that Kung Bei never had a family and you know he, it doesn't need to be related by blood to have a family. You can have a family through your relationships and through how yeah how you build these relationships with people who aren't blood related to you. So. You know, it, it's not the perfect thing I could have hoped for, but, you know, I get it. Try to tie it up and make it tight. But, you know, it was nice. Do you feel it was unnatural? The way they kind of shoveled it in? Yes. I think but when we when it was revealed that Wolju was pregnant, that's when I was like, oh, we, we didn't have to do that. <laughs> but we're gonna. But I wouldn't say unnatural. I just felt like it didn't, we didn't have to go down this route. But I get it. They want to make it tight. More so did it feel forced? If, if not unnatural. Like, they found a way to, yes. like, shovel, shovel it in. It didn't come out of the blue. But it kind of didn't seem necessary. Yeah, because, like, when we were talking about why Volju decided to actually take on the punishment of saving 100,000 souls, I guess, like, what would make her change her mind would be for a son. But, I mean, I was thinking more towards the prince. But, I I don't know. It, I don't really like... It being a son thing, I felt like, you know, we, uh, it's just hard. It, it, I felt like we didn't have to do it. Mm. I, I don't know what more I can say on that. Just cause like, I, I, I don't want to say it's forced because, you know, like it's not something I instantly thought of. It's not something I predicted. So I guess like, yeah, it was out of the blue, but you know what? Sure. Like give her, I mean, <laughs> they're just giving her more trauma to deal with. So, and it's a more of a character arc for her to go through. So I get it. Add a little sprinkle more trauma. Yeah, no, uh, what you were saying about Kim On Young, the villain aspect. Yeah, no, I don't like his character. Super flat. I don't care for his character at all. His smirks are corny. <laughs> uh, it's very try-hard bad guy. When death, when death smirks, that's cool. But when he smirks, <laughs> yes. it's yes. not cool. That's, that's what I want to say. Yeah, Chi, the, the actor who plays Chief Young, when he pretends to be Won Young, that's when he's like. That's when he's really showing off his talent. But when it's the smirks come from Won Young himself, nah. He is it. Is he too pretty? Is he? Does he look too like kind of clean? I guess. What is it? It it just reminds <laughs> me of like like just a a smug guy like who who's like, just a bully. Yeah, he, he doesn't look like he's he's ruining a family of five hundred years of history. He looks like he just like kicked sand in your face or just took your <laughs> took your snacks or whatever the hell yeah <laughs> it's like a bully yeah he, he's, he's just a bully he's not like a threat like i wouldn't be scared i'd just be like oh well okay he has a smirk of like oh you girls see that more so like he's trying to get impressed less so of like i am diabolical i have yes. revenge to to in place i don't like his character like yeah i i like where it went i like his character as a MacGuffin, where he's just driving the plot i like how what he brings out of the other characters but for him himself, he's so fucking flat. Sorry, pardon my language. That's how passionate. he. Most of his history comes in the past, where it just shows, um, which is already pretty shady, but also you kind of see the shadiness. Like, you don't really get much development from him. You're just like, okay, he's his right-hand man, but you don't really see that he's really trustworthy. He seems a bit sketch. At least I'll give the actor that. But when it comes to the present day, when he's trying to exact his revenge, they kind of throw in the whole chief yom like his the daddy issues and the unsolved part and they go back to the the past but it doesn't really seem like the revenge was really still eating at him it just seemed like okay i'm just doing this kind of 
it just felt flat everything he kind of did not saying that he didn't drive the story because he definitely did he killed the queen the mom which at least i i liked way more development and we had way more development in an arc from her but yeah just <laughs> he serves his part he does his part not my favorite character that's like what they say there's no small role just small actors and he was the smallest of all of them. <laughs> even though he he's is physically the, biggest, the tallest yeah <laughs> and he probably he's amasses so tall, right? a big audience he's probably a k-pop star too or an actor in his past life yeah because like somebody did a good deed in his past life and they're like you know what your uh your reincarnation is gonna play this character in this k-drama <laughs> Okay, uh, but yeah, Levy. What about the the others part of the royal plotline? Uh, the mom. The I like her arc. I like her part she plays. The whole she comes back because it's just like everyone's everybody from the past is kind of coming back. It's weird how they look at reincarnation because she didn't have any grave sins herself other than just being a poor mom. Nothing too out of the ordinary. She didn't execute the the mom. I could have sworn that was the uprising or, or other people. She got. She got reincarnated, and that's the rules, right? If you did good, then you reincarnate as a human. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's kind of uh, confusing to that, but we're just like, okay, let's just see where she can go. I feel like what's good is you also got a lot of development and just uh, more exposure with Gui when you see that dynamic where he's he's more emotional. He's just kind of like, get out of my business. Stop, mom. I love her. Stop. Like that. But all the other stuff, I, I do like where it goes. I, I do like just because they already hinted in the beginning, just seeing the way, the way it's resolving, it's like, okay, this is the K-drama aspect. I feel like if you change the tone of the show, where you really wanted to dive into the psyches and you went into like Persona 5 territory and characterize that more, the tone of the show would change drastically if you kind of made it more serious. There's a lot of focus on romance in the show. A lot of the subplots and the case-by-case, case, the monsters of the week, kind of have a romance a- aspect, if not love. The majority of them do. Uh, as for me, the royal plotline, I think I've said it enough about this Wan Young character. <laughs> he's also wearing black, okay? That means he's bad. <laughs> he smirks and he's wearing black. Like, yeah. I don't know what, why, when they realized that uh, Chief uh, Yom was wearing black, didn't they notice? <laughs> then he, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And also, he wasn't eating noodles. Yeah. He wasn't eating udon. <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole thing was... Uh, pretty silly in my head everything else about the royal plotline i really like i think what differentiates with Wan hyung part with everything else is that Wan hyung doesn't feel as connected as the rest mm. like emotionally like yes they're connected because he literally killed Wojo's <laughs> mom like yeah and started this whole thing basically but like the, the whole mom the empress storyline woju and chief gui as a prince it, there's there's felt like more connection there and more things to showcase so when when the episodes talk about the relationships between the crown prince and woju those are like the strongest parts of like all six episodes them developing this understanding of like why did it, the things they did and why didn't they tell each other these secrets those are like the strongest moments and it's quite jarring when you cut to like the antics of Wan Hyung. what is the smirky boy gonna do next <laughs> thing it's so jarring because it doesn't feel as developed or feel or i like feel invested in this storyline as opposed to uh woju and chief gui because from the very beginning that's the foundation that's everything and i guess maybe they had to give development to Wan young just to be like he's he's the bad guy he's the bad guy he has dad issues but yeah 
I, uh, like the only time I actually really liked Won Hyung is when I think it was episode seven or eight. I think it was eight, the the beginning when he confronted his father at that warehouse, mm. and then you that's the first time you hear all his motivations and like what he did, and yeah, I think that was the best part that he ever did. After that, he became Maleficent <laughs> from Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> and I didn't like it. So yeah, now I think that's what I I maybe to Ryan's point as well about like how everything's connected. I kind of also have to agree with like it doesn't feel as natural to do in a way. Maybe I I'm thinking I'm putting it in the wrong mindset. I think the show already set up that like destiny and faith is a thing in the show. So having the son be Kang Bay or like having a child, mm-hmm. and a lot of mythical stories have those connections with children and legacy being with uh, fate and destiny. Personally, I didn't feel like they did it too well, but also I get why they did it. So I don't want to knock on it too much. But when the reveal of like Kong Bay is the sun, I was like, wow. They really uh they really like trimming the fat. They really like using every part of the buffalo, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, just <laughs> everything. <laughs> they use everything for this show. And on a lesser note, Yo Rin is the Cinnabar. Nah, that's whatever. That's <laughs> See, I yeah, I felt like if they established the Cinnabar thing a little early on, then we I sure like we can accept that, but yeah, I the Yao Rin being a Cinnabar, I was like, uh, oh, I don't think this is gonna go anywhere. Yeah, I think it also like weird out because like in their in their world there are people with awakened spiritual vision, right? Mm-hmm. So it does so it just weirds me out that like these two people are not those. Their their actual spiritual powers come from, you know, established mythical objects, mythical beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then why introduce there are people with awakened spiritual visions? Because that's that's how shamans are. I was like, oh, I don't know. It feels like when they were trying to connect everything together, it doesn't feel as right as because maybe for more like a more richer, wider world, it would be nice if they were just separate from all that, that they were just, you know, they were actually people with spiritual vision, awakened spiritual vision, and they like Woju and and like Kang Bei likes Woju and Chief Gui because, you know, that's a found family. He found his group that he wants to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about the reveal with, um, Kangbe being the tree. So the whole, as far as I remember, it being the in the bar, and he kind of just awakens anime style. Whether it's you compare it to <laughs> he went the, Super Saiyan, he went Super, he went Saiyan, Super Saiyan, or he's Gohan, he, or he, I, I'd even compare it to like Naruto, and I don't even watch it like that. But like Mangekyo, like he just they unlocked it. It's just in his eye, and he's just like oh, um, and then all of a sudden he comes over, not overpowered, but he just has the physical power to withstand and stop Kimon. I didn't. <laughs> that's where it felt cheesy. I didn't mind the the fact that he was connected and he is related to the tree or he is the tree he's the child of the tree it's just the fact of how they did it i'm just like oh i mean yeah i guess you can do it that way <laughs> i think i found it very cheesy when it shows the tree and then it just shows someone standing underneath the tree and it turns and it's kong bay in black i'm just like oh yes we know we know that he's that he's the tree we get now it he's like, you wearing to... black <laughs> is that is he a bad guy <laughs> Uh, Kangve. Wait, the thing Ryan talked about is that that was before the Super Saiyan, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, Moments yeah. before. Okay. Very close. I I don't think it was the reveal, but I think it was like heavily implied that it was Kangve was when the reveal of like what the actual scroll was, like what was written on the scroll, because mm-hmm. that's when I like kind of pieced together. Mm. I was like, are they talking about Kangve? Because they're like, yeah, they've suffered like 
over the years and all that. And I was like, okay, they haven't introduced anyone yet. And we're, <laughs> there's only like three more episodes <laughs> or something like that. So I'm guessing it's going to be one of the already established characters. And there's only one character who has been having problems this entire time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume it's Kang Bae. And then they kind of hint it as every episode goes by. And you're like, okay. I think, like me, me and Ryan said, it's like, you don't have to do it. I get why you did it. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, the focus was Chief Gui and Moju. They could have used that time to like really focus in on that. Or take away that baby plot line and like, use that time to further establish Wan Hyung, like his yeah. whole deal and his relationship to Chief Gui and Moju. Because the only thing I get from that guy is like, he's just mad. He's angry. He wants weapons and military might. Really, that's it. He's a diet fascist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. How about you, Levy? Since you brought up the question. I do not like... Yeah, just repeating what I said. I, I don't mind the connection. It's just that specific reveal or that specific scene where... He, they're just showing like okay let's let's add the supernatural kind of action aspect which they've they've had i i feel like that was kind of it was all right it was like milk toast at best when we had like the fighting scene every fighting scene kind of i've only had maybe one or two scenes fight scenes or action scenes where i'm like oh okay i think they did it properly i think when the first fights i'm just like oh this is stupid they didn't even put any effects or any choreography i think that was with like the heist uh for the code in the first half but then after it got better but yeah, I'm just I just how they did that. I'm just like I don't know the, where they're trying to go with the show. It didn't feel forced. I just eh, it was just a personal like nitpick. I'm like this is I'm like okay, this is where we're going. I I did like the reveal, like like you said with the scroll. I like that connection and that definitely got a struck something in me. But they, they didn't really need to. I I could see them going other directions, just not just past the re- reveal, but just where they went with the story with him either needing to be related to. The, the, the main two, yeah. I do want to give uh, a shout out to the special effects because those are pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, when those special effects happen, I'm like, I can see why people outsource animation to Korea now because they can pull this off. Uh, okay, so I guess we talked about a lot about it. You know, our favorite moments, our highlights, our lowlights. So, what specifically are your highlights and your lowlights for the show? Specific episodes you liked, didn't like, and all that. I will say, I I believe it's episode eight where we <laughs> we deal with the uh, X-rated uh, webtoon or web web comic oh, writer. Yes. Oh, yeah. the the ice witch. misunderstanding <laughs> the episode. That was <laughs> <laughs> misunderstanding is uh, underrated, uh, under under understated. Okay, yes. retake. <laughs> misunderstanding was understated as a theme for that episode <laughs> yeah i i remember when i think when episode seven ended and they showed the preview of them acting out like romeo and juliet i was i was very confused as to what how that would connect to the to the overall story but first off before we what getting into that romeo and juliet story what a what a twist in that one where <laughs> when when Moju, who's pretending to be juliet goes to uh romeo's dad and it's like oh I, I won't marry Romeo because I'm in love with you. I was like, what the what the hell? What a what a what a twist in that Romeo and Julio story, uh, Romeo and Juliet storyline. But no, overall that whole episode. So in this one, there's a case where a girl who mainly stays indoors because she has um, a heart disease. She meets a delivery man, 
and you know they build a, a relationship and she keeps ordering more things so she can see him and talk to him yeah she he asks what she does and yeah she she lies that she she omits the truth by just saying she just writes and then he overhears that she <laughs> that she's been this like she's um insulting a delivery man because he's the delivery man's being used and everything and it just starts off the whole chain of events where everything goes wrong but i think what i like more about this is just that em- that that mo- like that emotion the the guilt that she feels that you know um this whole it's, a, it's just a big misunderstanding and she never got to contact him again on paper it sounds basic but just how it was presented to us it just felt very sad i don't i don't know what hit me more but just something about that whole episode with just a misunderstanding can just really ruin you and even Wolju says that people just need someone to listen. And mm. again, that's being reinforced a lot. Mm. But but yeah, Wolju, again, like she really says it like, you know, people will live longer if they have someone who can hear their problems. And I was like, wow. Yeah, yes. We... <laughs> Wolju, you're coming at us with wisdom again. I think it's the simplicity of that episode. The whole message being just communicating, um, speaking your mind, and I guess being more honest. It relates to like some of the other episodes, but it's just I feel I feel like if you because the the story of the like the actual webtooner the what would you say what's that uh the Wattpad <laughs> the green Wattpad <laughs> of um Romeo and Juliet the story itself is weird you see how they at least try to use as um it's it's very similar to at least I feel similar to the relationship between Woju and Chief Gui where a lot of stuff is just misunderstanding or just not being fully honest yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like once you, f- you focus, you get past that. And I do like how it's at least entertaining. It's the entertainment value of that section. It's It still hits you there where it's like, oh, yeah. Like, even though it's weird that all she was talking out of context, or he heard her talking out of context about delivery men, all of a sudden that ended up ending the relationship. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. This is where they wanted to go. And then in the end, they make peace and they find out it was just all a misunderstanding. Kind of late. Yeah, speaking to that, I, the that episode contains the most poignant and most sincere scenes out of all, in the show, or one of the most poignant scenes when what would you ask like a, a spiritual liaison to facilitate mm. the conversation yeah. between mm-hmm. the between the boyfriend and the dead girlfriend? Yeah, that whole moment was very was very nice, very nice to hear. You can communicate while you're alive, but here, here I'm here. I can help you. Yeah. What would you said? Yeah, I think it's also like the last episode that basically had a bigger focus on like uh the living realms uh problems right um i think the next episode nine is with the missing child that's the last one. Oh, okay yeah but yeah i, f- yeah, I feel like if they switched it around that would have worked out better because like i feel like just hitting home again like yes you need someone to listen you need to have that one person to share your problems with i feel like yeah that would have really hit home like a summary of like all these cases you just need someone to hear you out i feel like that would have hit it home but i felt like when they did the missing child one it was more to lead into um uh, you and her i guess what she wants with uh, a relationship with her son which she didn't have oh yeah so that was the reveal of like the scroll yeah okay mm-hmm. any specific episodes you didn't like ryan i i feel like you have to talk about <laughs> The second last case, the second last case that they dealt with, which was um, the Cinnabars case, and um, just how they solved that problem was, let's just sing karaoke. Let's just mm. let's just 
Yeah. Let's just celebrate. How do we how do how do we all feel about how that case went about? Because because we have we had our thoughts about Yorin. That was like a breakup episode. It was like a breakup episode. We're like, yeah, we're gonna cheer up her girl. She got heartbroken. Even though they're not really talking about Kangbe, it's just kind of a past or she was just down on her luck. My thoughts on that episode is exactly my thoughts on Yorin. Forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. If their intention was to make her a, a bland character, yeah, they succeeded in that. Not only in the living realm one, but also the spiritual character. <laughs> they had so much more potential with her. They could have used her non-ability as an ability or as a plot device. They were just like, yeah, no, yeah. we're just going to connect. She's the connection between the past and, and Kim Won Young, and that's about it. Or at least one yeah. of the connections. But that's about it. Yeah, they kind of did it on like the last episode where she fought up those group of guys. Yeah. But then it's like, well, like, that's... <laughs> I'm going to protect my man. <laughs> that's what she says when she's fighting those guys. I, I hope that like it sounded better to Koreans. Because then if you read it in English, it sounds cringe. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, I felt that too. It's the power of love. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. The power of love transcends all. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I feel like they might have paid too much for the actual singer to come in and sing her song, uh, So Chan Wee, to sing the tear song that the girls all sing at the karaoke. Felt like we didn't need her, but yeah, sure. We if we we have money for a cameo, we can fit her in here. Yeah, that's why they couldn't do all those uh, high budget special effects fights because they had to <laughs> bring in the singer. <laughs> okay, uh, Levy, how about you? Your favorite episodes, least liked episodes. I'm drawing a blank for favorites or at least worst, but at least a standout episode that comes to mind is actually surprisingly the ninth one, where it's the uh, the orphan episode where where the kid was missing and he went. They ended up finding him in the states. I I feel like um, Kim Won Young he's better as the possessed as his possessed father, like when he takes over. There's more development and I guess he pulls it off more. It's probably because it's the actor, of course, but as the character alone. The fact that he's um trying to kill or hide the like he's he's at the scene of the what's the name the dude who abducted the kid or took him away or technically just hurt him and made him knocked out the one who donated yes. him the sim the incel yeah uh it's at least they use that to draw the parallels of um Kangbei being an orphan and being by himself and at least I like that where you have more development of Kangbei where he's not just too happy go lucky and he's just simply naive you see a bit of his past. You you see more emotion, emotional range from the actor, but also his character, where he wants to be left alone. He even tries to kind of like run away, to degree from Chief Gui. There's a whole uh, scene at the marsh or wherever that it is. Uh, yeah, I just like how this episode develops some characters. It's just a bit more of what we've seen, and that's the episode with the um, you're not eating your noodles or the ramen. So I'm just like, oh, hmm, good. Uh, oh, and then also highlight or sorry, the uh, cliffhanger that they end on is the reveal with the. The queen, the reincarnated queen, who comes back. Not the sixth episode, like I mentioned earlier, but yeah, it's this episode. So at least this is where it starts that roller coaster of just like, okay, now we're gonna go all full force with the royal bloodline story. I will say, when in the episode before that one, where in the preview it it ends on um, the preview ends with the the queen coming up to Kong Bay and the and Chief Gui, and she's like, "It's finally nice to see you." I was like, "There's no way." <laughs> that that's in the middle of the episode that that is the cliffhanger and yeah it, it literally was the cliffhanger for the next one i'm like there's no way you you just do that right in the middle but yes yeah, so speaking to episode 10 it just it just 
all exposition, not exposition badly, but like it just explains everything. It just reveals so much in episode 10 with, it just literally starts with cutting to the mom talking to Chief Gui. And it's like, yeah, you're the prince. Like, okay, answer, <laughs> answer solved. And I think the episode also ends with Wolju figuring out that, that he's the prince as well. Cause she starts to put together that, um, the lines that Kongbei uses on Yorin are the same lines that the prince said to Wolju when they were younger. So it's it's really a lot that happens in this one in that episode as well. What was the episode where Chief Gui transfers over Woju's contract? It all blends together because I was trying to figure out what was my favorite episode, <laughs> and I think like I was thinking like what was the episode where Woju really really went the mile to save Kangbei by like transferring over her contract to send her to the hell of extinction just to get the information of the real identity of Cinnabar. Yeah, it's it's nine because it, it had to it tied in with the whole son thing because when the mom that they help in that case reunites with the son in the hospital, it cuts to her outside the hospital room saying, at least you got to reunite with your son. I never got to meet with mine. And then that's when we see her working with Samshin to tell her who the Cinnabar is. That's how we get into that reveal. Okay, because that's my favorite episode then. Because, you know... I, even though the whole baby thing was not that great, the emotional aspects of it and like Boju just showing everybody, outshowing everybody that she's a real one. Mm-hmm. Get you a girl who will sacrifice themselves <laughs> to, to the hell of extension to save you. <laughs> uh, low lights, like low episodes, I don't really have a particular low, low, low ones because all the episodes had Wong Kyung in it. so automatic deduction of points for me (laughs) and maybe this goes back to like what ryan said like all the episodes kind of blend together so it's not really can't really pick a standout one as opposed to like the first half where each episode is pretty uh, distinct so yeah i think maybe sequence wise i really like the one where chief gui finds out about the death of the fashion designer his reincarnated mom Mm -hmm. and then Woju meets up with him at the temple and they have a chat afterwards. That whole scene, I was like, damn. Love does transcend time. Anne Hathaway, you were right. <laughs> From it. But yeah, I think that was my that's my favorite episodes and my low episodes. So we would be remiss not to talk about something pretty important. Uh, which is the ending. <laughs> with everything about that ending. Because like what endings are supposed to be proper conclusion to all the story arcs that have been introduced how did y'all feel about the ending of mystic papa bar okay <laughs> I, I i i don't know how my co-hosts feel i'm trying That's to okay i'm trying to gauge it but you know like no, honestly don't, just don't yeah, no. be the reference boy <laughs> yeah uh, like to speak honestly like i feel like Chief Gui sacrificing himself for Kangbei and and Wolju basically like that yes that's that's good i i i like that you know what uh, he he had to he, he is an honorable man. He he will sacrifice for himself, for the people that he cares about. So that made sense. Wolju sacrificing herself for Kongbei, that 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 also makes sense. Like, even her her last line to him was just uh, so sad, where she basically says, like, I'm the one letting go of your hand. You don't have to blame yourself. I enjoyed our time together. And then, you know, he looks at her and it's like, don't go, don't go, Amma. And I was like, oh, goddamn. Like... I, I, you know, that was a very sad moment. And even before that, when 
as the episode was have uh at the beginning of episode twelve where where things are starting to kind of wrap up and they're saying their goodbyes to each other, I was thinking like, is this show gonna do something where is it gonna go the happy ending route where we see them as a family and then it shows that dream that Kong Bay has of them actually being a family and having those interactions with each other. I felt like, oh okay, I think. I think this episode is going to go dark then. Not not dark dark, but like I feel like this episode isn't going to have like that them ending with them being a family. But then it cuts to Chief Yom and Samshin on the bench outside the coffee cart and they're talking about Wolju and you know they try to the show tries to misdirect you that you know Wolju actually did sacrifice herself into the the spiral staircase. But yeah, you know, she's fine, you know what? Like okay. And we theorized last episode where the last case to be solved will be Wolju herself. And lo and behold, that happened to be the case here. I don't. I didn't have a problem with that. It, I mean, it. yes, it's kind of obvious, but it, it makes sense. Like she, her, her grudge about not being able to save, to give her son a good life. You know, that that's something she had to deal with. And by sacrificing herself, she accomplished that. Like, yes, you know what, I... I sacrificed myself for my son when I'm the one who ruined his life in the first place. So I felt like that made sense. But then when the Queen of the Underworld just resurrects Chief Gui, I was like, okay, we're just, we're trying to make it, we're really trying to make it a a happy ending at the end here. And she just gets to go back to Earth and help out these cases. You know, like, fine, sure. Like, yes, just, I don't mind it being a happy ending. I just felt like, it could have gone in a different direction. It didn't have to be so perfect at the end of all this, but yeah, that's how I feel about the ending. It could have been happy and um, comforting, but still a bit more realistic and less fairy tale-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that for at least the last episode, that last grudge wasn't Kim Won Young. Like, he's, he's kind of consistent in his, his uh, where he stands morally he's still evil he's still even to his last breath he's just like okay yeah you know what i'm not gonna try to redeem it so at least her last case or the grudge is solving herself and yeah like what you said ryan it, it does make sense it just seems and it does seem to follow the route that they're going not perfect but also we'll we'll try to sho- well, not shovel in but make it as happy as we can, we can with what we have overall that last episode i um i feel resolved before it, it went i'm glad that uh they did do that dream sequence of the perfect family, they have it. They're all, all three of them are in. That was Chief Gui's dream. That was a, that's a question. No, I no. It's Kong, I I thought it was it? it's Kong base because they're Kong, Kong, Kong okay. the one sleeping okay. and she's holding his head as it's okay. happening. But yeah, at least we get it through a dream sequence that that's where it kind of resolves. But it's not where it's actually going in the end. Like at least they show the hypothetical of what it would look like. Obviously, there's it's just completely. Uh, made up because they're already in a family they're already existing as a family and it's not really after what would happen but overall yeah i i I don't feel like entirely touched by the end of the show um i just i guess i it's just an enjoyable ending i will say though i don't get it it's just in any media how like any any time there's someone hanging by a thread or like on a ledge and or specifically by an arm the person holding them up has the strength it could be adrenaline it could be anything like that but for some reason, they're just like, don't let go. And I do like at least how in the end it was she, she was the one who was, was prompting it. She's like, no, I'm going to let go. You save yourself. And that's what redeems her. Instead of just her dying at um, Kim Won Young's hands. For that ledge thing, 
I didn't understand why they couldn't just like swing her to the staircase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, so it was, it was right there. But it's okay because it was all CG. So nothing <laughs> yeah. <was> there. <laughs> yeah, I felt very weird seeing... Yeah, no, when Wolju let go, it just... <laughs> you could just see her zooming, like just distancing herself. I'm like, this. It, she's just laying down, and they're just. I don't know how animation or how CGI works, but like, it just felt like she's just staying still in one spot, and they're just green screening her down more and more. Yeah. Just felt yeah. very awkward. They have they have her laying down on a green screen or whatever yeah. on a mat, and then the camera pulls out. <laughs> I so I, I I think Kim Won when he falls, it's more obvious. But with her, she kind of moves it a bit. Like it's it's passable at least. Not where it's just like yeah. their arms flailing. For me, for the ending, I thought it was fine. I think it was good enough for what it was. There were some still lingering questions that I had, or I was just confused by the end a bit. Because I thought Chief Gui transferred over his Woju's contract, so he should not exist, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> the thing. I Yeah, no, I was confused at that part too. And then I googled, I was like, what the heck, like, are we not gonna, like, because no one, he doesn't reveal that to anyone, and no one finds out about that, like, that he yeah. transferred the contract to him, and he's the one gonna serve the punishment. But apparently, it's just implied that, like, because he sacrificed himself, that's why he gets to have a life. And sure, I wish they kind of actually said that, if anything, because I feel like that's, that was such an important part, like, him transferring the contract onto himself. Like that, that should have been, I don't know, discussed a little bit more. I wish we got more screen time instead of literally in episode 12, we get screen time of just Kim Won Young in the warehouse, just thinking to himself. I'm just like, we're wasting screen time on him when we could have established more <laughs> about this contract and dealt with that a little bit. Yeah, I feel like it. I also want to, f- I'm feeling like it might be a translation thing because none of us know Korean. Maybe they did explain it in Korean <laughs> some way. But it was just translated weirdly. So, I don't know. Or also, maybe it's like in the webtoon, they explained it. But we uh. didn't get anything from the show. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I felt like the ending was fine. I don't feel particularly touched, like what Levy said. Satisfying is also, like, I'm lukewarm on it. Because, again, I had those confused, lingering questions. But I think the show, the, those last five minutes were very nice, very uplifting. And I think those characters really deserved what they got. That maybe that's where my satisfaction is. I felt like they got the ending that they deserved, that they wanted, at the very least. Uh, okay, I have two more questions. One is a general. One was like a, a meta one, and one is a actual show one. And the show one is because we talked about the, the the three people in the Mystic Papa Bar. How do you feel like overall about those three? That being Woju, Chief Gui, and Kangbei. Um. So, I yeah. So with Woju. She, again, with where her character was at the beginning to where her character was at the end, I felt like she had the most growth and development because, yeah, she hated humans. And then we get to learn why. And we get to see her kind of accept at the end, like, yeah, I want to be with humans. I want to help them just for my sake. I just want, like, I'm not doing it for a quota. I'm just doing it because, you know, people need people to talk to. I, I'm here to listen. I have this ability to help people settle these grudges. So, yeah, I will do that. Be out of the goodness of my own heart so i feel like where her character arc after everything she's been through yeah she 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 grew, she grew a lot over the time and you know she's come to accept a lot of things and understand people more so i, I like that chief gui 
I mean, he he was great at the beginning, just being who he was, and then as we start to see, like the nobleman side of him, like that's when he really started to grow on me a lot more, and just seeing how honorable he is to to the people he cares about, and how he's willing to sacrifice a lot for them and be that protector for people. I I I like that aspect as well, and then with Kong Bay. You know, we we didn't get to talk about it, but like when they when they showed that flashback of his foster parents uh, trying to adopt him, and then when they just touch him, or even just even at the orphanage, like people whenever they touch him, it's just like we get to hear about it, but like actually seeing it play out, like it, it must have been such a, a hard life to live. Like whenever people touch you, they share their deepest thoughts out loud, and you know it kind of scares people away. Be- although it came from Kim Won Young in Chief Young's body, but he had a point where people like to keep those things hidden, and you keep bringing them out. So why would they want to hang out with you? So I felt like that was a good, interesting point. So you know, seeing Kang Bae have to go through that whole process, and you know, I, you know, him losing his ability, like that, that makes sense. But I feel like they didn't get to. I feel like there should have been more said on like where his character goes from there like is he still gonna try to talk to people he 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 does say like i'm having a hard time getting to read people but it doesn't really say like if he likes that or if he's trying to you know still be someone to talk to for people trying to be there for them i felt like it it wasn't as tied off as chief gui and wolju were but i mean overall he's such a great character anyways so i'm just glad that he had like a happy ending at the end uh in regards to the, tr- the trio and all their development you can tell that they focused more on woju and this this whole show was mainly woju's story although gui and kangbei are part of the main cast they're underdeveloped they do have development and they do have their arcs but i feel like there's again still a bit of potential they had more they could have done with them with uh kangbei you didn't see him completely stay static same thing with chief gui um they're not just their flat characters of kangbei being uh naive but being able to have people open up to him or chief gui being cool and protecting uh i I feel like we got moments where so say in those episodes where kangbei really like questioned his childhood and his upbringing at least with like the orphanage scene where when they (laughs) the the parents who tried adopting him how dark they got into fighting when they touched him uh that was like okay this is a turn and it, it, it did help characterize we're like oh okay he's been really through some some shit and then same thing with chief gui with all the history he's had but overall i did like the show and where they they went with them i just feel like if anything chief gui i feel like they should have maybe developed more on where it goes after saving her and being saved himself from the hell of extinction and then say with uh kangbei where um what he what did he learn from all this other than just learning about people and i guess finding the good and people opening up and then maybe even they could use uh yaorin as a cinnabar to actually like compliment each other but overall yeah i do i do like the show and i do like all three of them i just feel like there could have been a bit more done but i don't hate how they played them out yeah i don't think i need to echo anything that y'all have said the only thing i'll add on is that the trio the mr pop-up trio undeniably they have so much chemistry the characters and the actors it really mm-hmm. puts the show out there that they have this electrifying chemistry in like the sad moments, but also especially like, those little happy moments, like those little 
moments of happiness that they have together that really showcases how much they actually care about each other. I think those are really cool. My last question is, in the first episode, last episode, we I talked about how the show was a healing show. How do you all feel about that term now after you've seen the entire show? Do you share the same sentiments? Do you want to add on to it? What? Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I still agree with that. I still, I still agree with that. And I feel like I don't know if the show, like I don't know how the production of this went, but like with the show ending, with you walking into the bar and Wolju saying, oh, you look tired. Here, have a drink. Let's talk. I feel like that, I, I don't know. Some people might find it cheesy, but to me, I found that like, yeah, yes. Like the, you know, it's trying to reinforce that fact. Like, yes, this having someone to talk to i keep saying it i keep reinforcing it but like I, that's like that's, that's such the good message in this show like having at the end of the day have someone to talk to to share your problems or you know just share the good stuff as well like having a person to listen to you is what you need to kind of get through things and i feel like through this show it really enforces that and you know like i can't relate to all the issues brought up but like yeah there are moments where that that are healing because of what the characters go through even just misunderstandings communication issues like just having to speak your mind like things like that like that are that are relatable that we can practice in everyday life i feel like just hearing that more and more and reinforcing you is part of a healing process and on the step to living a better life so i still agree like yes this is still a healing show and that is one of the reasons why i would rewatch the show because just to kind of remind myself like yes communicate more talk to people share your thoughts like that it's such a watching the show is such a good reminder of that this show yeah I, i'd still agree with the the aspect that it's a healing show even still more uh after watching the second half it, it reinforces the concept that therapy and starting these hard conversations is kind of necessary especially in the healing process even if it's not the whole process, and even if it's not easier and it's tough, as long as you're you've started it, you've seeked the help, and then also that you're not alone, which I think is kind of hard to to get, just in the aspect like Kongbei, like he can't help but feel alone because he's an orphan. But knowing that whether or not it's um, your blood family or your chosen family, at the end of the day, it's kind of necessary, and it does more good than bad. I think I share the same sentiment as well. I think this show is still a healing show and having these little moments to really reflect on everything and seeing how your relationships are with other people and like how you kind of need someone to talk your frustrations out with somebody. I think that was a nice thing to show. And I think that little cheesy thing at the end with like going into the bar with Woju like Ryan said, really, really, really reinforces that idea. Come have a drink with me. Let's talk about it. And it's okay. I'm a good person to talk to. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, what is your uh, what is your review of the show? Your one-line review? If this was on Letterboxd, what is your one-line, two-line review? When there's gout, speak your heart out. <laughs> oh, damn. Fuck, that's good. <laughs> yeah, damn. God damn. <laughs> I've Those peaked. I've peaked. I've peaked. That's it. The, the thing, bar none. <laughs> this is my highest contribution up to the show. It's only downwards <laughs> from here. <laughs> right. You're the follow-up. <laughs> How do y'all follow up? You don't have to make it rhyme. Just letting you know. 
No, that already sets a precedent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If that's how you're feeling. The show will make you feel and it will make you heal. That's my review. Last but not least. If you want to cry, give this show a try. Thank you. Mm. Okay. Mm. Nice. Mm. Gotta mm. end it off simple, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright. With those out of the way, how about we folks unplug? Right. This is the unplugged section where we are going to talk about one to two things that we've been, you know, that we liked over the two weeks between episodes. And yeah, you know what? I'll start off with mine. And I would like to feel, I want to believe that Power Outage is like the people's podcast. And we have to talk about the, ish- the, the things that people want to hear about. And their Oscars came by recently. And I feel like some people really want to know about some of these Oscar movies. So I will talk about Nomadland. And everybody's talking about it, and we also gotta talk about it. And I think Nomadland is a pretty good movie. So Ryan, the Mitchells in the Machines. Go Not even gonna... Just keep it short and simple. Alright. So Mitchell and Mitchell's sorry. So the Mitchell's versus the Machines is the latest animated movie to come onto Netflix. It is uh, done by Sony. It's a computer animated. It's a sci-fi comedy movie, and it's produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who gave us Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, and most notably from Sony as well, Spider Man. Into the Spider-Verse. And Clone and... High. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most notably, Clone High. <laughs> in the lead up to this movie, uh, there's a lot of shifts going around. It's supposed to come out in theaters uh, last September uh, under the title Connected. Obviously, with the pandemic, that shift things around and it changed the title to The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Uh, very aptly named because we follow a family on a road trip, The Mitchells, who are against... Machines, and they're planning an apocalypse. The machines are kind of based off of Amazon slash Apple. They are called the PAL robots. And there is this one robot uh, voiced by Olivia Coleman, who is kind of like your Siri equivalent. And the creator of the Siri uh, tries to upgrade and sees that Siri is a- the Siri equivalent is irrelevant. And because of that, he tosses away the Siri equivalent and... She gets angry and creates all these... Oh, she takes over all these robots to take over the human human race. And we just follow this one family in their quest to destroy all these robots and end up rising. I will say, the animation... If you enjoyed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for its animation, like, Mitchell's versus the Machines tops that completely. Like, I, I could not imagine that Sony could do something like this, but... By watching this movie, I just felt like the animation is just so good. And it's so out there because it's it's written by the people who worked on Gravity Falls. So if you've watched that show, it's kind of the same vein with its weirdness and out there 
out their weirdness with uh, Mitchell versus the Machines. There's a lot of like interesting cuts and segments that they do. It it doesn't feel off. It feels like this is something that I wish was shown on theaters because of how great the animation looked. It it is computer animated, but just seeing how these characters move and seeing the different types of animation that they use, it's not just one style throughout the whole thing because it is inspired by the animation done in Into the Spider-Verse. So they take a lot of animation tricks from there, but plus it in this movie. Like, I, I, I can't describe it enough. I feel like animation alone is worth watching this movie for. But the storyline with this family, they're kind of a disjointed family. They're all, they're like, we have the daughter who's trying to get into film school, but her dad is disapproving of that. He thinks that she won't make it. Hits me hard, but um, we also get her brother who's into dinosaurs. He's a weird kid. And then we have the mom who's trying to make this family manageable, trying to make them all connect to one another. And just seeing this family dynamic is, is very sweet and very wholesome. And just watching their journey throughout, like, again, the premise may seem wild and out there with them stopping a robot apocalypse, but there are those small moments that really hit home and they're very emotional. And just worth, and like we just talked about, Mr. Papa Bar being a healing show. But I feel like this can is like in terms of like a healing movie because of the family dynamic. They all feel very real. They're all very relatable in one aspect or another. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend checking it out. Whether it's for the story, the animation, I'm surprised with the cast that they got. Even though there, some of these people aren't the main cast. Like I said, Olivia Coleman, I wasn't expecting her to be in a an animated movie but she's here um john legend apparently they got in this one chrissy teigen blake griffin yeah blake griffin <laughs> is in this movie was he dunking on someone did he dunk over a car he plays Himself. a robot oh. uh dunks no. on a car that dunks over a car. uh there is a car involved during that that sequence where he's introduced so yeah a little he doesn't dunk over it but he he lifts it but yeah no i was i was very surprised with who they got for it um, but no, honestly, check it out if you haven't. It's honestly worth watching. And I feel like it it will probably definitely be Oscar nominated for sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, Sean the Sheep got nominated. <laughs> so. It did. Yes, it did. It did. So, yeah. So, Sony. Yes. What do you think they're drinking to get this cool <laughs> animation out? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is. I feel like it's more so Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. I feel like Sony knows to hire them now. I feel like they, they're the bread and butter of Sony animation. Like it, like I said, it, it feels very much in vain with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And once Sony knew, like, okay, yeah, it, it won an Oscar, it broke a billion, we got to hire those people back again. And yeah, just. It's just something about these two. I mean, they've, they've done other things like the Lego movie and, uh, yeah, Clone High. Uh, but, yeah, like, I feel like, you know what? If if it ain't broke, don't fix. So, yeah, keep hiring these people. They're some... I don't know what it is. But I remember when Spider-Verse came out, there was, like, talks of, like, they're going to patent the animation that they did in that and solely keep it exclusive to them. And, you know what? Like, you know, Sony's getting closer to you know i mean they're already proving themselves now with these last two movies but if they keep this up sony's gonna be a a big uh, a big uh, person to compete with now 
I feel like after the emoji movie, they were like, <laughs> okay, I we think got they the money there. now. I think yeah. they peaked there, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if they can get Patrick Stewart to play the poop emoji, it wasn't that long Anything's before possible. they could get Olivia Coleman. <laughs> no, I kind of like where Sony's going with uh, animation. There, It's a distinct voice. Pixar is known for doing the whole shtick of what if it, something had feelings, and then they have heartfelt themes of course usually um and the animation's always solid and it looks great but i feel like the direction sony's going is just oh they're really taking more chances and risks with where their stories are going and how they're telling them yeah i um i'm just looking at their upcoming one um i think their next one is wish dragon which i'm very excited to see because it's like american chinese uh, partnership that they're doing it's gonna come out on netflix in june 11th and it has like john cho constance Wu. Jackie Chan apparently produced the movie as well. <laughs> so, I mean, the animation in that, like, they, they've only shown, like, uh, some promo uh, pictures for it, but it looks pretty good as well. So I'm excited to see, you know, the future of Sony Pictures animation. Speaking of Japanese Japanese powerhouses, Levy, Jojo Part 4. When we were speaking about Japanese specifically, anyway. <laughs> uh, JoJo's- Sony is a Japanese company, and they're a powerhouse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyways, JoJo's Part Four. <laughs> sure. Why <Okay>. not? <laughs> well, speaking of animation, uh, I've I've revisited. No, that's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, for me. that's for me. That doesn't have to be you. I, I, that's my segue. It doesn't have to be yours. You can do both. <laughs> Excuse me. I could have. We could have segmented Frankenstein. Your part, the Japanese, and I could have went. Okay, yeah. As long as it's not too disconjointed. Anyway, JoJo's Part Four. Diamondo wa. Kuda Kanai, Diamond is Unbreakable. This is... Diamond is not crashed. Diamond is not crashed, for the literal translation. For all you... What is... What is Jojo, <laughs> What What is Jojo? <laughs> well, R- R- I'm gonna... R- Ryan obviously asking because he wants the listeners to know. Yeah. Because, yes. But Ryan's the anime Ryan's fan. Ryan's the anime he's fan, yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 yeah. Just, he's just playing the devil's advocate right now. Um, He wants me I'm to... D- I don't advocate for the devil. <laughs> well, you are... Well, no, sometimes you, you falter because you're, de- you're indecisive. Anyways... Jojo's, Jojo is a manga, long-running manga and anime series published in Shonen Jump, a weekly serialized manga magazine made for sh- young boys. Uh, and the gist of the story is that it's spanning generations of different Jojos. Um, it, the story always revolves around Jojo. Jojo being the nickname of any of the main characters, all somehow related from the same bloodline not fully linear in the aspect where it's just like oh this is just the son this is just the daughter this is just anything like that it gets a bit mixed especially too with even part four where the connection is that in the bloodline is that it's a bastard son one of the uh the second jojo has a an affair and that is our current one where we connect the third jojo jotaro as the um is he the uncle or no uh josuke is the uncle the fourth jojo anyways yeah it, it's basically it's hard to describe without just saying it's bizarre the it's very known for the staple of stands mystical fighting powered men not exclusive to only just mystical men but just super super powered abilities and at least the powers they range they come from very niche to very overpowered and generic yeah so part four was a series that i revisited after years of watching I, this is the first series that I actually finished revisiting Jojo. I've tried to watch part one and two again, even though I knew I watched it. I'm glad I I endured the first 
Sorry for anybody who <laughs> might be offended by that, but we all know it's pretty slow. But part four really, really cements why it's my favorite. It's very distinct. It's very familiar with um, Jojo and the lore and the history, but still fresh from its release date with what, what came before it. Which, which, where do I begin? Uh, I, I love this, this show. I love how it's what distinct, distinguishes it with um, at least the previous series is that this is where you see um, Jojo and the manga artist, uh, Hiro, Hiro, let me see, I don't want to butcher it, I do not want to be flamed for this. Araki, yes, but Araki, uh, this is where his, his, uh, this is where his style, both, um, storytelling wise, but also, uh, drawing his art, it's, it's very distinguished. It kind of fluctuates throughout, um, currently we're on part eight, Jojo Leon, and you, you just see his progression as an art, as an artist develop, but this is, I guess, where it starts. He's influenced in the first few parts, uh, part one to three, by what's around that time, which is more so just um, generic action in shonen, where four, it takes the powers to another level, and even you see the character design get more flamboyant, and he, he gets more freer with it. Part four is essentially, long story short, it's, um, it's a murder mystery. It's a cat and mouse chase, where basically they're trying to find the murderer, it ends up becoming they, they're trying to find the murderer of uh, the small town of Morio. Uh, we have Jotaro, the previous Jojo that was focused on from Stardust Crusader, come in, and I like how they don't overpower him. He's, he's still power-wise, he's overpowered, but the story isn't about him. They, they're able to tie it in. Yeah, I just, just like where the whole general direction goes with it. They're trying to solve the mystery of who killed Raimi, this um, girl who was murdered few years or 15 years in the past and with they're trying to track down the killer who's been still at it and I, I think it's a nice turn from part three and the previous parts where at least all of, all of them all jojos kind of uh revolve around okay we have a main villain and essentially we have to stop him and and or kill him the fourth one with how they go about it it's not just a linear track like where how part three it's like we have the four the main four which is jotaro and uh jonathan his no, it's his, his grandfather. And then the other two stand users. And then basically, we're just following their journey. Uh, we know that the end goal is uh, Dio, which was introduced from another part. And essentially, they're just getting closer to him. But the way they tell it, they, there's a lot of introduced um, stand users and other characters that kind of just are used to showcase their power. And I guess kind of use it as filler. But in regards to part four, you have them, you have the cast and you have the enemies who are also stand users and have mystical powers they resolve and they have an arc they become friends in the end or they, they they use them for development later or plot devices later uh once they're beaten it's not just like oh okay that's it or they're completely evil they show that no they're still part of the small town which i guess you get the community aspect and yeah you just you just see the development of that i really love the story it i'm so glad i i rewatched it uh the part four the last there's three openings last opening banger even though it's it wasn't my favorite at the um, upon my first viewing a few years ago it's it's very funny because um can't you know how the the last opening goes right it's like break the great days it starts with uh breakdown breakdown and i was just like ah funny just how time and how life's been going not right now at least but being in my head and whatever in in my mood and in my feels when i heard breakdown i just kept laughing a bit because i'm just like oh my god yeah i was breaking down i'm just like that's funny i didn't think i'd, I'd make that connection but here we are so you brought up earlier that, you know, you found it a little hard to get through the the first part, <laughs> first uh, 
first season, um, and now you're enjoying the fourth. Mm-hmm. For people out there who not you maybe are interested, because in, you already know. Well, no, I, I I did stop after the first part, so um, well, you like for someone, you're the anime man. You're just you're just saying that it's okay, don't worry. But he's also indecisive, so yeah. he doesn't mm. know if he wants to continue or not. Yeah, so yeah, going to that, like, for people who are trying to get into it or who find that the first half is a little slow, like, can they expect, at least in the second part? Because, I, I mean, the fourth part sounds great, but, you know, the fourth stab wound doesn't get better than the first. <laughs> so does the second part feel like a, a good shift towards betterness, I guess? I'd say with each part of JoJo that's being released. So the anime is at... The manga is at the current part 8th, with the 8th Jojo. The anime right now has been announced. We've only finished the 5th Jojo, which was uh, Giorno. Um, and then the next one is uh, Stone Ocean, featuring Jolene. Jolene! And I'd say just with in general of everything, both the animation, both in the actual story itself, it gets better. Uh, and obviously, I feel like it, it does, or like I said before, the manga, the art gets so much better as well. So essentially, I feel like it's not... Okay, maybe I sound uh, it's controversial. I wouldn't say skip the first part. I would I would say in general just don't skip anything if you want the full JoJo effect. I feel like if you if you think that there's something that you're gonna cling to, it's just good to have the whole full picture of JoJo. If you're just trying to get into the series or just touch, I guess um tread the waters and see if you like it, you're testing it, then I would s- for sure start at two to three. Uh, two is a bit slow too, but I feel like if if you jump to three, there's enough uh, continuity or just ties that it's just it's not heavy it's not defining the story but you're just gonna be like oh okay there's a connection because in the end all jojos are connected somehow even if you just it's a mention of oh this is just the relation to the next jojo because at least um yeah anyways long story short your answer your question i would um i wouldn't mind skipping parts if um you just want to get the gist of the story and get the feel of jojo but it's all interconnected and i feel like it couldn't only enrich it as at least I'd, I would say, or it's good to make note of, the first two parts, they're not full seasons. So at least p- past um, part three, so three, four, and even five, they're roughly around 40 episodes. So they so the, they go long. The first first two JoJo's are in the span of like the first 20-ish episodes, and they split in, in between, so it's kind of, it's not even half-half. They, they really don't really show much for Jonathan, the first one. So they even cut out much, even as slow as it may be. If, if you need to skip, skip, but if if you like what you hear for the, the, the later parts, at least revisit it at some point. At least for me, I want to rewatch another part. I'll give it uh, another show in between, but I'd probably watch um, part five next. I think I'd do part three last, and or part three after, and then the first part last. If you do want to skip, I don't encourage it, but if you do, yeah. you can watch part five, because part five is very separate from everything mm-hmm. else. It's not really connected to anything. As your as the audience surrogate, yes, <laughs> you can watch part five, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then part six. Ryan, I think you'll like it. It's a prison break. So oh, uh, yeah. I guess for my topic, my actual real topic. <laughs> but my preamble for that topic again, I want I want to believe that we are the people's podcast. So let's talk about the things that people are doing these days, and I know like taxes, tax season kind of ended in Canada, but. Tax submissions in the U.S. extended to like May 13th or something. I don't know. So I'm going to talk about tax evasion. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's some tips of how to do it and how not to go about it. Yeah. Uh, specifically how Turnip Boy did it by playing in the game. Turnip Boy, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. 
Uh, this is a, an adorable game. It's a Zelda-like, so it's more reminiscent from like A Link to the Past or similar to those, or like the Game Boy Advance ones. And it's not a, a very long game. It's a very short game. It's like, I think I clocked in around two and a half hours, and I, but that's me 100%ing everything. It's not that hard to do it, but yeah, that's, that's how I, just because I like collecting things and there's things to collect there. So yeah, it's, again, I mentioned it's like a very Zelda-like. There's a few dungeons. The premise of the game is that you are Turnip Boy who is living in a greenhouse where Mayor Onion gives you a thing that you have to pay taxes on. And then Turnip Boy rips that tax document and says, no. <laughs> and that's how he committed tax evasion. <laughs> and now Mayor Onion is upset and wants Turnip Boy to do these tasks so uh, they can re re repay him back for what he's done, for what Turnip Boy did, for the crimes that he did. It's set in a world where vegetables are sentient. So how it says they're like onions, turnip, and they make a lot of jokes about it, how there's all this. And the enemies you fight are herbivores. <laughs> so like snails, worms, deers, and all that. Uh, the art style is very cute. It's very adorable. And the sound design is mwah, chef kiss. So good. Yeah. It's very, very good. And yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about the story, but like there is some world building and like how things came to be. And there are some moments where like it's very happy-go-lucky, kind of like, oh, this is charming. But there, there's like one moment this, in like this farmhouse sequence, this the farmhouse dungeon you have to do when you figure out, when you read some letters and then by the end of it, something happened. And you're like, fuck, that hits hard. I didn't expect that. And then afterwards, after that, you meet a macaroni. He talks about the meme of how how many kill counts, what his kill count was, that meme, <laughs> that uh, copy pasta. There are so many memes and references in this game. There is, speaking of which, there's a JoJo reference Yeah, I was about to see. There is a JoJo <laughs> reference here. There's also a Gurren Lagan reference somewhere. There's a lot of references, especially if you grew up in the 2000s, in the internet. I think it's a great game. Uh, the price might be a little pricey for some people, but I think it's worth it. It's around $17 Canadian, and I recommend people to play it. It's a very simple game, but I was editing this podcast and other things, so I was kind of stressed. But when I was playing this game, it calmed me down. So yeah. How's the game aspect of it? So it's similar to Zelda, but it seems like the writing and the story is what it really is the, is the strong point. How's the game the mechanics and just the similarities to Zelda, but also like I guess what distinguishes it from Zelda. Uh, I think in terms of Zelda, it's like that locked door, get a key, go to another place, get a key, and then open that door. That's the kind of like the dungeon aspect of it. That's how Zelda like it is, or like how you can't progress. Like the aspect of like you can't progress somewhere unless you do something else somewhere else, and then come back to that place mm. to do it to get that key to open it up. There's also some like nods to Zelda where you know you get the bombs to open some stuff up to like break some things and all that. Uh, it's a very simple game. Like you only you don't use mouse. Uh, if you're using a mouse and keyboard, you only have to use your keyboard, and it's just uh, directional arrows and the ZXC, uh, C to swap weapons, X to use your weapons, and Z is to trip, which is like their dash kind of, but or like Z is also to interact. So it's a not there's not a lot of mechanics in this game. It's very simple. It's not that hard also. So, yeah, that's it, really, about that game in terms of mechanics. Yeah, it is also available on Switch for any Ooh. Switch users out there. Same price as well. Um, I think, yeah, seventeen ninety nine Canadian. Um, I did see gameplay. 
of this. I think I saw like 30 minutes of gameplay. Yeah, it like I think charming is like the best way to kind of sum it up. It is a very it is pretty funny with its comedy. I do like the designs of the different fruits and vegetables. Like there's an avocado where the I don't know I don't know the parts of an avocado, but the the brown part is like the, the pit, face the and she's carrying the avocado itself as a backpack. I feel like that's yeah. such a fun design. Um My name's Annie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh and yeah, there are a lot of references to like just streaming as well. Like I think they have a game called Fork Knife. <laughs> yes, um, there's a streamer in there as well. There's so many little references, game references as well. There's a you there is a there's a portal reference also. Oh. Does that have to do anything with cake? Uh no. Okay. It's an actual mechanic. Oh, okay. But okay. Yeah. never mind. So yeah. I love how I never knew it was actually part of the title and so much part of the story, the whole tax evasion aspect. <laughs> It's it's a whole thing. I don't want to spoil the story, but there is it it in the two hours you play this game, it goes places, and you're like, wow, did not expect this. Did you take notes? You're like, hmm, this is how I this is how I should go about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, it's too late for us, but maybe for next tax season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan, you were gonna say something? Oh, like do, when you when you say like it goes places, do you mean like dark? Do you mean like emotional? What do you like? Yeah. I, I mean, not to spoil, but like like it does it go what kind of places <laughs> like where it it goes wacky oh, okay it's, okay okay you're like, they explain why everything is the way it is and you're like hmm, this interesting is <laughs> this is funny <laughs> um i'm assuming you did this all in one go or uh i did it in uh, i split it into two sessions so. okay question how did you find out about it what's your exposure to this game uh, I went on Steam like and then I saw it was like, <laughs> yes, I don't want to pay my taxes, so because <laughs> I need to use it on games. Oh, I paid my taxes in early April. It's fine. It's okay. The CRA is not listening. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already late. This is for next season. This is for twenty twenty one. Okay. Uh, I found it on Steam. It was like the front page of Steam. Like you know how if oh, you scroll down, there's feature. like what is the community play? Mm. And you're like uh, one of them was Turnip Boy. I was like, oh, cool. So yeah, I played it there. It seemed charming enough, and I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" So yeah, with a lesson in tax evasion, I think we'll <laughs> end it off there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, for the next show that we're gonna watch, as unfortunate it is that Mystic Pop Up Bar ended, we have to move on. And the next show that we're gonna watch is The Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance, which is available on Disney Plus. So there are ten episodes for that. Uh, it's Netflix. What? It's Netflix. It's Netflix. <laughs> I thought it was it's Netflix. Netflix. No, Never it's mind. Netflix. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Re- re- redo Oof. that. Redo that. Okay. Yeah. Did I, how did I start it off? Wait, also, wait, wait, one so question. So that what 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 that lesson on tax evasion? That's how you. No. Okay, but after that, what did I say? Uh, as, as unfortunate as Mystic Pop Up Bar is done. As unfortunate as Mystic Pop Up ending, we have to move on. And we're going to watch another show. And the next show that we're going to watch is The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which is available on Netflix. Uh, there are 10 episodes. So the next episode of this podcast, we're going to talk about the first five. So get ready for that. And yeah, we're all just have going to have a good time. Because a title like The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is nothing short of happiness and joy and <laughs> success. <laughs> so this was the Power Outage Podcast. We are your hosts, Kent, Levy, and Ryan. And we'll see you all next time.
Hmm. Maybe we should have explained what uh, <laughs> Badnar Popno was. Uh, so for anyone curious about how we got the name, we took Mystic Pop-Up Bar and like put it in like a those Google Translate, like do it 10 times in like different languages. I think we did it like 30 times, Levy, right? Yes. Yeah, we did 30 times. And then what popped up was uh, Bandor Popno. And that's how we got our title. What's the literal translation is. when you look up Bandor Popno? Like on Google or like translate? I have no idea. And uh, <laughs> if you do search up what Bandor Popno is, uh, please, no. Don't, 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 do, <laughs> Dude, don't it do it on YouTube specifically. <laughs> yeah, don't do it on YouTube specifically. <laughs> and yeah. Okay, that's a nice thing to end off with. <laughs> huh. Those spirits actually left their equipment here. They don't know that this is actually the bad place and we're the evil spirits. Well, they're in for something when they come back. <laughs> Wait, what? They're... They're not coming back here? Damn it!